What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Crazy Face Uno podcast, where everyone has a story and everyone's story matters. What's your story? If you'd like to support the show and help us tell more stories like the one you're about to hear, please visit crazyfaceuno.com today. There, you can purchase items from our online store or donate. As always, I'm your host, Shane McNeely, and boy, are you in for a treat today. It is my honor and privilege to introduce our guest today. Please welcome Ann Wang. Welcome, Ann. Hello. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Of course. We first met, I believe, through Susanna, uh, Susanna Hendricks, who we haven't had right. on the show yet, but she needed some extra help at the Fourth Estate a while back, uh, one of Invisible Children's events, and um, I think that was the first time we really met, even though we kind of crossed paths a little bit uh, at, a, at IC, at Invisible Children. Yeah, it feels like forever ago, which it, it kind of was. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that was like almost eight years or something yeah it's, it's crazy i know yeah so i was crazy. i was thinking about that as i was getting ready for you know our podcast and like when we first met and how and i, I saw it so you were a summer intern it looks like uh, yeah right before i came in because i came in fall 2010 and you had, had left just then i think we may have crossed paths you at some point in time there but um yeah. Probably for like a week or something. But right. yeah, exactly. I love that you know that better than me. I was like, what year was it? But yes, <laughs> I think it was 2010 summer. So yeah. we must have just missed each other. I cheat and I really do. I, I went on your Facebook and, and I saw it there. So I can't take credit <laughs> for it. it. But uh, I will I will, uh, I will let you know that. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Well, I don't even know it's on my Facebook. So still, you are more on it than I am, which is great. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Uh, well, um, like you said, it's been like eight years or so. And uh, for you, uh, there has been quite a bit that's transpired between that time that we first met and today. And I would love to kind of dive into that with you and kind of talk about current day and kind of what you're up to these days and then maybe take a stroll back in time a bit. Absolutely. You are the co-founder and CEO of Inru. And that was uh, something that you and one of your good friends, best friend, Yeah, we actually grew up together. Nice, nice. Yeah. And you started it, like, while you were still in college, is that correct? Yeah, I think it was, like, senior year, we had some framework of an idea, but it wasn't a business. We, like, didn't expect it to be a business. We just had this idea and kind of slowly but surely figured it out. Nice. And and that was, you attended UCLA, correct? You were a graduate UCLA? Nice. Yeah. And what... Maybe help us or help me understand because I I'm kind of new to understanding some of this. I've followed you for a while and you know uh, fanboyed over here. I guess you know of, uh, <laughs> what you're doing and the things that you know Inru does and and your part in yeah. this process. How did this? You know, you said you kind of stumbled into it, but how did this process get going? What was you know the beginning stages of that for you? Yeah. So I mean, I had. I think as a lot of us did growing up, really been involved in kind of the invisible children Mm -hmm. activism space. And I also was studying international development at UCLA. So I had really like a deep interest around the concept of economy and even more specifically how, you know, poverty not only impacted, but what were the economic roots of poverty and, and, and from a very, again, academic viewpoint studying it at UCLA was absolutely amazing but it was also sometimes disheartening to learn what you know quote-unquote traditional aid Mm -hmm. had not accomplished and really I think being at Miserable Children and learning you know hands-on what telling compelling stories could do and the power of really like activating um individual action into kind of mass impact was yeah. so much more powerful than what a lot of again traditional aid had done and so yeah i just kind of geeked out about all of those things for a number of years and i think <laughs> as i was finding out 
more about microfinancing and you know invisible children had a great program which yeah. was like the village um dsla yeah village yeah. Students and Loan association yeah i just started to realize so much more around how investing in an individual was really highly impactful to yeah. not only them but to some of the larger economic infrastructures if it was done correctly. Mm -hmm. So in a very technical way, that was what I was looking for, was kind of a solution that didn't look like a traditional nonprofit or didn't look like um, an NGO, um, but could really activate the masses to do something that they did in their everyday and be able to actually create impact through that. So yeah, and then you know I had kind of good friends that were either in the fashion space or in the tech development space Mm -hmm. and it just slowly evolved into this wow what would what could we do to aggregate all of these companies and brands that we already love that millennials really believed in which were actually employing individuals around the world and therefore investing through employment versus like you know yeah, anyways, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but we didn't want to do <laughs> no, a one-for-one one model, yeah. you know, so. Yeah, I I think it's awesome. Like, I, we'll get into it, I know, uh, more as we continue to talk, but I love the idea of kind of thinking outside the box, outside of the traditional, you know, realm or, or path that you see a lot of, you know, people taking or, or you know, and then also investing into people because people matter, you know, and, and I love that you brought up the VSLA village savings and loan association or, you know, that, that, uh, program from invisible children. It was one of my favorites. And, um, just a quick story, I guess, is like whenever somebody being on the road, people would always ask like, what's your favorite, you know, part of invisible children. And that was always my answer. And I loved that model. I loved everything about it. And, uh, it's a really, it's really cool that that was also, you know, something that you think of and, and along these, you know, the path that you're taking. Um, what, obviously there were probably several conversations that started and took place, but what was one of the first moments when you guys like, are we doing this? You know, like, was there that aha moment? Yeah. I mean, I feel like I've been that person where I always come up with really weird, nutty ideas, <laughs> and my friends are either like, yeah, well, let's do it, or yeah. they're like, no, yeah. and put that one like in the graveyard. And so <laughs> I think with this one, it really came out of this place where we were like, we, man, we want this for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like, we want to find a place where we could find, you know, the giving keys and like yeah. mend stuff. And, you know, and like, I was really the connoisseur for that for a lot of my friends who mm-hmm. loved it, but we didn't have access to amazing networks through Invisible Children, you know? Yeah. So there wasn't. In the early days, there wasn't this like aha moment of being like, this is what we want to do for the rest of our lives. Yeah. It was much more about us seeing a problem and then being able to be like, well, we can take incremental steps to yeah. create. And uh, yeah, I've always kind of been that way. So it didn't feel all that out of norm. It just felt like another thing that we thought would be really fun to do. And I think as it got later and we got much more um, into like, you know, fundraising money for the company and mm-hmm. like having actual customers. And, you know, my co-founder and I had part-time jobs when we graduated and the yeah. company was up and running. And, you know, we knew that like, we knew pretty far in advance that we wanted to make sure we had some financial, um, like backups while we were building. Mm-hmm. And then when it really became a point where, like one more hour of our time would really make or break the company's success. We would both leave our other jobs and join full time. And I think we, anyways, I'm moving it all kind of along, but for when we, um, you know, we had no idea what building a company was. We didn't understand the tech space at all. We didn't really understand how to like raise money. Mm -hmm. And we knew the like, impact nonprofit space but whenever we went and pitched our idea at either you know business schools or in front of investors they were like well why don't you just be a nonprofit and yeah. we kind of said if we believe in entrepreneurs building great businesses to create great change then we have to be a business ourselves yeah. you know and that is kind of how we would how we would 
be transparent about our values. Mm-hmm. And so anyways, once we won, we, we went and pitched at Forbes 30 under 30, yeah, which we can talk about, but it's this really interesting tech summit. And we have this crazy story of how we actually got the call and won the whole thing and yeah. yada, yada. And we can talk about it, but we didn't make that decision to really be a hundred percent in until after that. And there was a very clear moment where Jess and I both looked at each other and said, Hmm, I think this is, you know, that aha moment where we're like, okay, if we didn't give this all our all, Mm -hmm. it would fail. And it would be because we didn't put everything in. Yeah, absolutely. Is it the, was, was winning the uh, 30 under 30 summit, uh, that pitch was that the like catalyst for you guys like going all in then yeah exactly it was I mean it, it you know we and I'll just kind of share a little bit about that experience Go for it. I know that's really interesting to to people who've never like been a part of a pitch but um you know we had we had like developed a website by then we had some products I think we had been a part of an accelerator which Mm -hmm. in the tech space is just like a 10-week program for you to learn how to pitch an idea how you to talk to investors and like learn the 101 of tech raising fundraising Mm -hmm. and you know we had been working and it was the end of this accelerator so I think we had a deck like a 10 slide 15 slide five minute pitch sure and we had no access to any investors really like we were an e-commerce company for good there wasn't a lot of immediate interest if you don't have any warm introductions it's really hard to get those meetings and we had no revenue right it wasn't like we had made a ton of money already so the chances that we were going to get funding were really really low at that point and so i think my co-founder saw on twitter that Forbes was looking for cool companies to come pitch at the under 30 summit. And I was like, awesome, go ahead and apply. Like that's never going to be, it was just a fantasy dream. And we didn't hear back and didn't hear back. And we're like, obviously it's fine. And we get this like frantic call on a Friday. And I remember being so confused because the guy was like, we're from Forbes. We've been trying to like reach you for three weeks. Like, you're in our top four companies to pitch. There were thousands of people that applied, but like, are you coming or not? And the summit was in Philadelphia. We're based in LA and the summit started on Sunday and it was Friday. And we were like, uh, yeah, we'll be there. (laughs) Try to figure out like bought tickets. We had a huge photo shoot the day after, um, so we couldn't leave right away on Friday. Yeah. I think we had to do the shoot on Saturday and then we left Saturday red eye to wow. Philly. And like the whole time I'm freaking out because I know I have to give this five minute pitch in yeah. front of a thousand people. And on the line is $400,000 right. of investment money, which, you know, when you have negative money in the bank is a big, big, big deal. So yes. Yeah, we go and we pitch and, you know, I'm pra- I probably practiced the pitch like a hundred times to yeah. the wall and like <laughs> just really, and if, if you're, you know, happy to talk about that process of like prepping, but we ended up going and um, pitching on stage. Like we had Malala in the crowd, yeah. and some amazing people. And I honestly don't remember all that much because I must yeah. have just blocked it out. I'm but sure. <laughs> We ended up winning, and that was really the first check that we ever got. And it was such a huge, like, I think we, Jess and I looked at each other and went, holy, you know, bleep, this is real. Like, it wasn't even out of excitement. It was a little bit of terror that we we were like, Like, oh, what are we doing now? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, this is a different game. So that was the start of the process. Um, Yeah. Did you receive, outside of just money, did you receive, like, guidance and, and, like, help with that along the way? Yeah, I mean, one of our investors, Troy Carter, is, like, the most incredible, um, not only monetary investor, but mm-hmm. he brought us in-house at Adam Factory. So, Troy is this incredible um, music manager by trade. He he managed Lady Gaga and really launched her. Yeah a few other amazing artists on legend and he just was has been the biggest mentor and guidance um you know he he let us have our first office in his office for mm-hmm. three years we like settled and you know in his um just across the street from his office so really it was this like incredible family of support that we got 
Yeah. What What were some of the, like, up to this point, is there anything that, you know, obviously you're, you're nervous, you're anxious, you're excited about this. Um, what were some of like the, the lessons that you were learning along this journey, uh, you know, through Forbes and like just starting this business? Hmm, I mean, a lot. I think there was a lot of like imposter syndrome, which mm-hmm. a, a lot of young founders have, you know, it's a bit of like faking it till you make it. But yeah. Uh, that's only, only effective for so long. And it's much more important, especially as a female founder. I think there's a need to be, especially a young female founder, there's a need to be absolutely perfect and Mm -hmm. have answers to everything. But I found that the right type of investor or the right type of partnership come when you show up with questions. And if you're confused or if you're, you know, in need of learning, that's going to be more valuable than acting like you know it all and and then figuring it out. So a big, big lesson for me was being able to lean into that factor of who I was and that I, you know, of course had a very strong and clear vision, but I wasn't afraid to learn. And that I think set me aside a little bit than you know, some of the more bullish founders that were just like, yeah, I, I've got all the answers and I know exactly what I'm doing. So right. that's a really big lesson that I still take to, to today, you know, and I think that asking the right questions to people, really, really smart people is the fastest way to learn mm. and not, you know, and then everyone says this, which is so cliche, but it's true. Like being able to fail fast is so important because, time and money and resources kind of drain. And so the faster yeah. you can do things wrong, the better. That's, that's awesome. Where is Inru today? What, what, what is, uh, yeah. you know, like where, where are you along that process? Where are you with things? Yeah. So we kind of made the decision a few years back to, to really think about an acquisition. Um, and partially it was because we didn't want to go out and raise a ton more money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so it's definitely slowed down in terms of what we're growing and what we're doing. Um, we're still in the process of that. And so unfortunately I'm not able to share as much. No, that's okay. Um, and we're still figuring it out, but I think there was a really intentional de- decision to not go down the tech path and keep raising and mm-hmm. really find um, hopefully a good home. And so day to day, you know, it's, it's changed in how it's ran. And um, I also now consult for a number of different clients and, um, you know, have taken my love of how to combine impact storyteller and now storytelling and now influence as kind of a triangle of, factors that I think really can change culture and change um, the world for better. And Mm. so, you know, for example, I'm really passionate about mental health. Yeah. Um, And so really thinking about how, again, you use those three factors like uh, a great, um, you know, TV show. And we're working on a docuseries with Forbes Media right now around mental health. So how do you create content around stigma change? Mm-hmm. Um, bring in the right influencers who are going to break and shatter that piece of, of, of taboo um, and really create, again, a lot of buzz around something so that it has the, the biggest impact. So I think I've learned that within Rue that my passion is really about telling great stories that change culture. And mm. we did that with individual products. We did, we did that with individual organizations. And so I'm still very much seated and rooted in that concept and it's just figuring out you know where are amazing places of need for that kind of formula to really work yeah that's awesome i i love that you brought up mental health i wrote that down i i've Mm. i have uh yeah, I, I wanted to talk to you about that because I, I've seen, yeah. you know, through social media and I've, I've seen some of your posts and uh, just the things that you've talked about. And I've actually found there was one recently that you had posted that I found really mm. encouraging. And uh, it was back in October. And there's just one little piece that I wanted to read, if you don't mind. And yeah, it said, sure. no, in the last few years um, have been me relearning how to better listen to my mind to ask if what I'm feeling is real or just a pattern of functional thinking. And I love that because 
uh, sorry, fictional thinking, not functional, fictional. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was to ask what I'm feeling is real or just a pattern of fictional thinking. And, mm-hmm. you know, I find myself in this process of, you know, kind of creating Crazy Face Uno and, and trying to to direct this ship in, a, in some form or fashion. And, uh, you know, similarly, I have no idea what I'm doing, you know, if I'm completely honest. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, the mental health world is, is something that I've struggled with and I know that so many people struggle with and that fictional thinking and, and questioning whether it's something that's real or is it something I'm, I'm like telling myself, you know, and, and trying yeah. to convince myself. And I found that to be really, um, I don't know, eye-opening for me. It really made me pause and think, and I wanted to say thank you, one, for that. And uh-huh. I know that this process, and, and I've read some of your, you know, your articles and the things that um, you've talked about, and throughout this process process with Inru, you've you found yourself at the bottom of the barrel and mm-hmm. uh, tired and anxious and depressed and... Um, what has been some of the things that have helped you come out of that? What was, you know, maybe just kind of talk to us about that and that experience yeah. and what you've gone through. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, depression and anxiety have been in my family for, I'm sure generations, but it's mm-hmm. something that my dad and I have had a lot of conversations around And it comes from this place of being extremely, extremely hardworking and perfectionistic and just able to really push the boundaries of what our brain and bodies should be doing. And I think a lot of people do that. So for me, it was a blessing to have this like openness to the conversation and openness to learn. So I think my, my relationship with mental health started at that point. Um, I also really struggled with bad panic attacks in college. Mm -hmm. And this was probably around the time I was at Invisible Children, which is crazy to think about that. Um, But I just was super unhealthy, depressed. And I think a lot of college students have that because it's a huge life change and you're eating like crap, you're sleeping like crap, you're super stressed out and like you're redefining your identity literally every day in college. And Mm so that was my first piece of it. And I just remember my dad saying like, cause I would, you know, call him crying and have full panic attacks and I couldn't yeah. really control it. And like, I just remember my dad saying like, and this is a blessing in disguise because if you can figure out how to really not solve the problem, but to really manage mm-hmm. this, like you're going to be ahead of, the game in that sense right like as an adult you're going to be able to manage stress so much better than everyone else because of that and I just really held on to that and so that became a bit of my personal goal of like I changed my diet dramatically and it wasn't about weight or anything it was just that I had really biologically damaged my body working and not eating and not nourishing it and there are just some chemical factors that lead to mental health issues if you are not doing the basics, which is sleeping, eating and nourishing your body and like exercising. So I started with that. And I think I I believe that everyone should start with a little bit of that. And, you know, I I didn't really do a lot of therapy, but I discovered a really deep yoga practice. And that helped a lot because it was a, a combination of mind, body and nourish. And, um, that really transformed my physical mental health in college. That was like stage one. And then I think within Rue, I definitely thought I was managing my stress. And, you know, there's crazy stories. Like I ended up moving into our office, I think for about three months and like hiding the fact from our like interns and team. I mean, everyone kind of knew, but it was just because I was going home at like 1am in the morning and showing back up at five and, Mm -hmm our office was actually nicer than my apartment anyways. And when I take a shower, you know, and so I literally brought like a twin mattress into one of our bigger offices and just like put it up every day. So nice. I was doing things that I thought like I would just do for a quick sprint and I'd be okay. And those things actually really burnt me out. Mm-hmm. And I just, I didn't 
it was different than when I was in college. I wasn't having panic attacks, but I definitely was starting to get really numb and really tired and not motivated in my day to day, which for me, like motivation is one of my core DNA things. And so when that's not there, that for me is a huge sign of, of my mental health. And so, yeah, that's kind of the journey. And I write about it in one of the articles, but you know, I don't think I figured it all out. I don't think I have the answers. Such a different thing for everyone, but I live with it. And like, you know, I feel like it's a constant push and pull. And what I've learned is more important than anyone, than any one thing I could do is just really honing my internal inner kind of check-in and voice of how I'm doing and being able to push myself a little bit more when I feel like I can, but checking in and then like taking a step back and recuperating. And so I believe that mental health is comes in seasons. Like there's certain times when you need to do more and push more and, 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 I think of it like fire, like those are times for you to really hustle. And then there are times when you just need to slow down and nourish and and those are more hibernation times. So yeah, I'm really passionate about it. I think that the only thing when, when a disease is one of the biggest cures is speaking about it and society is not yet a hundred percent willing to, then the power of sharing stories about that in a very personal way can be, astronomically impactful to mental health in general so yeah uh, yeah thank you for you know speaking out and 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 telling your story about that I mean it's such a vulnerable thing as well and um you know I I hear more and more people and uh, the more and more people I have on you know the show here it comes up and it's we're all dealing with some form of, you know, mental health that, and, and we're all struggling in some, certain ways and different ways. And, um, the more we can talk about it 100%, I think it's just, it's just allowing people to, to not hide behind it, but actually get help and talk about it, which is legitimately one of the best things you can do is just tell someone and talk about how you're feeling and what you need. Um, Totally. And then contextualize it too. Yeah. I think people see each other as either superhuman or they see celebrities or idols of theirs as mm-hmm. superhuman and they come out and are really vulnerable about a topic. Then it just makes it so much more real and relatable. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's not normalizing mental health in a way, but it is that if you, if you don't feel like you're the only person that is this way, then yeah. you'll understand that there's definitely options you know of Mm -hmm. progress um so yeah i'm super passionate about it um i think we're in a really incredible time where gen z is driving that conversation and there's a lot of craving for this to change and so it's this amazing i think like two-year block that we'll see so much of this change how do you you know looking at your experience and like kind of hitting you know, that rock bottom experience you kind of just talked about or that that super low point in your life, uh, working, you know, super late hours, getting up, being at the office super early um, for, you know, maybe other people that are going through something similar that work really hard and spend a lot of time in the office and have crazy schedules. What advice do you have for them? I know you mentioned, you know, obviously being self-aware, but outside of that, what are, what are some other tips or advice you would have for people that are getting after it? Yeah. I mean, I think therapy is so important and even like therapy between co-founders or team members is really good. And this is, it can be preventative. Like, I mean, I get so, so frustrated with like the fact that you go to the gym so that you're healthy physically. Right. Mm And that's, we know very, very well and accept the fact that that preventative measure of exercising can prevent future disease. Yeah. And I think that with mental health, that's just not a conversation that we understand. Mental health is as much the same way where therapy can be preventative and it can be a check-in. It could be really supportive, um, of future healthy minds. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's a big, 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 anyone in a high stress environment should have 
you know, some sort of access to therapy. And there are some cheaper options. There's not a ton. I know that it's not accessible to everyone, but that's a huge recommendation for founders um, to invest in that. And then what are other things? I mean, sleep is so important. So huge, yeah. Oh, I would commoditize my sleep. Like I'd be like, okay, I'll do this (laughs) instead. And it's okay because I just will sleep an hour less, you know, or it was like always on the chopping block of Mm -hmm. priorities. Like I would even prioritize running over sleeping. Mm -hmm. And there's just no other time for your mind to rest unless you're sleeping. And so that is a huge thing that I think founders have to be really selfish with. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, yeah, I don't know. I mean... It's really hard. I don't know if I've figured out the balance 100%. Yeah. But I think it's about really doing things that fuel your mind. Yeah. So even if it's work, it's a level of like joy and breathing and mm-hmm. fuel that it has to be in order to preserve that. And I can get really geeky into like, you know, nervous system things and, parath- <laughs> you know, parasympathetic, yeah. but. I think that that's all very granular and it's just more about having that like gut instinct of like, okay, sure. I need to pull, pull back on the gas pedal right now. And it's just being intentional about it. You know, I think that when you can, when you can be intentional about putting that as a priority and not necessarily having it on the chopping block all the time, but right. knowing that that's, that's important. Um, sometimes it takes hard life lessons to understand that fully though. Yeah, totally. And there, again, there's just some times where you're like, I cannot do anything but work yeah. because it's, you know, I get it. That's yep. like the start of life. But I think it's being really strategic and how long you can be in that mode. Definitely. And if we take a step back and we go back in time and we look at childhood, mm. how would you describe your childhood? What was What was childhood mm. like for you? I love that question. Um, my childhood was pretty dang amazing. That's awesome. Um, I was the very happy accident of my family. I was the third yeah. kid. Nice. That is much younger than my siblings, who are both like eight, eight-ish years older than me. Um, I had all my grandparents like near or in the house because we're, of course, a lovely traditional Chinese family. Mm-hmm. Um I honestly had one of the best childhoods I think anyone could ask for. I was, like, super adored by grandparents because I was the last one. And pretty much given every opportunity to just do whatever the heck I wanted. And in still a really structured and disciplined way, which I'm so thankful for. But, like, I was a performer when I was little. I was, like, a dancer. I wanted everyone (laughs) to, like, you know, there's a story about, when I was really young that we went to this like ballet performance at the local community center. And I was so excited that they were doing this that I was like, I can do it too. <laughs> and I literally ran away from my parents and went on stage and started dancing and you. like embarrassed my family or my <laughs> brother. Really? That's awesome. That is like, I feel like I haven't changed too, too much from that because <laughs> I feel like I just, and still that little girl sometimes where I'm like, I can do that. No worries. That's easy. Yeah. I think that's like a very startup entrepreneur <laughs> mentality. So I had that pretty young. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, again, I think like growing up, it was really incredible to have such loving and supporting and really intelligent like people in my life mm. that asked me to think and ask me to ponder questions and never be afraid of jumping towards something. Like my dad's an entrepreneur. My grandpa was an entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, they both come from, you know, a culture that I think can be very risk averse, but mm-hmm. just in our lives, like, or in our family philosophy, it wasn't about being really good in school. We didn't have that like super strict environment. It was sure. just about, being our own thinkers, being daring in how we dreamed and creating. Mm. I think creating was a huge part of our childhood, my childhood, like painting and dreaming and vision and 
building, um, my family, uh, my grandma, I mean, my, um, my dad and my grandpa were both builders, like, like developers. And, yeah. uh, so there was something really special about having something in your mind and then creating it into sure. real life with real materials. So yeah, I, I constantly to this day, I'm blown away with just how freaking lucky yeah. I was with the childhood that I had. And like, it blow it literally blows me away. I have zero complaints about how I grew up. Um, and I don't think many people have that. Yeah. yeah that blessing. So that's awesome. I'm really happy yeah. for you. That's amazing. Oh, what did, thanks. what did you say you wanted to be when you grew up? Ooh, mm, I think I said paleontologist for nice. like <laughs> a long time. Yeah. I was really obsessed with collecting rocks. Nice. I love that. Yeah. I, I do. I was as well. I would go out. Wait, really? Yeah. I was going to ask you what is yours. Oh, oh man. I said, I don't know when it kind of switched. I don't know when I like really, there's a couple. So like young, young, I like, I grew up in a conservative Christian home and yeah. I had, uh, I, I remember my mom tells a story. My dad tells it as well, but we had missionaries in our house. My dad was a pastor and um, they, they had left and I don't know if it was like a week later or at some point in time, I had said I wanted to go to Africa or I'm going to go to Africa someday. And like, I wanted to be a missionary and whatever. And, um, but then as I got older, you know, like middle school, uh, maybe a little younger than that, I was inspired by Patch Adams and I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to be a pediatric oncologist. My mom had cancer growing up and like, I knew about that story and I loved seeing people smile and laugh and like, him you know that that piece and so I was always inspired by that but mm-hmm. um yeah I don't know I was I loved I loved rocks though that was my thing I, I definitely <laughs> loved I'd go out in the you know just the the rocks and the decoration rocks and I'd like look through them and like find certain ones that I thought were cool and I don't know such a nerd and I feel like kids and rocks though it's just a real yeah. thing like I know. What else are you gonna love when you're little? I mean, bugs. It's the best. <laughs> I love bugs too. Yeah, I would always... bugs. That's good one. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I know. I know. It's so funny. I think as an adult, like twenty year old, when we finally moved out of our childhood home, there were literally Tupperwares, like the big moving <laughs> Tupperwares, like five or six yeah. of the rocks that I had made my parents bring home on like RV trips, nice. and I swear it was. Yeah. It was ridiculous. I was like, guys, I cannot believe you let me bring home yeah. this many rocks. It sounds like our parents could tell some stories because I know, like, I remember going to, like, the Badlands in South Dakota, and I'd, you know, you're not supposed to keep the rocks or whatever, and I'd, like, find these little rocks and stick them in my pocket and keep them. And Yeah, I, I've got rocks everywhere. Now I, now I live in Florida, and uh, now it's just transferred to shells and things. Oh, so, so cool. <laughs> yeah, every I'm time I go, I'm, like, really pick jealous. up a shell. And I tell my... Tell my wife, I'm like, I probably don't need to keep picking these up, but I just think they're so cool. So, yeah. I know. This is, we're really getting off topic, but it's cool. Laughing on this, like, as an adult, I have had to learn how not to look at the ground mm. because I still get a little obsessive about it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a little OCD. Like, yeah. when I start, I'm like, <gasps> yeah. So, I've, I've had to teach myself to be like, okay, and you can pick up one rock <laughs> and then, like, look up because it's it really obsessive and I, I spiral into that so I know. quickly. I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. Anyway, we got that in common. We really need to start a podcast about adult obsessions with rocks or Man, let's do it. Shells. I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. I'll be your co-host. Just let me know. Done. Done. <laughs> so there's a niche audience here. Yep. There's got to be one, right? There's there's an audience for everything. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Uh, if you look into like your teenage years, you know, those adolescent years, uh, middle school, high school, those foundational moments and foundational years of, of your life and in so many ways, just kind of trying to figure out what life is all about, I feel like, are those those uh, middle school, high school years and to no avail generally. But um, what kind of student were you? You know, you mentioned, you know, grades weren't necessarily a focus, but... What kind of student student were you? Yeah, great question again. Um, very different, I think, in middle school versus high school, and I'll I'll share a little bit why. But I, I mean, I think I had always known that I was 
like capable, mm-hmm. but I never felt at least in middle school that I wanted to be like the best or the smartest or competitive mm. or get A's. Right. I just yeah. like kind of did my best and I loved it. And I geek, I was a big nerd. I read in elementary school, I've read like literally every Nancy Drew book <laughs> that was ever written. So nice. I will just fully admit that I was a nerd. Like through and through. <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong with Nancy Drew, right? Oh man. And I'm pretty sure I ended up reading every Hardy Boys book because there just weren't any more Nancy Drews. So <laughs> obsessive. Um, but in middle school, I don't remember being like, ooh, I'm like highly, highly ambitious. And I think I was always motivated but not super ambitious. So I think there was a really clear change uh, in eighth grade where like I'd always been in honors classes. I'd always mm-hmm. done really well, you know, probably been like the top few in the class. But there was – an honors class that like everyone wanted to get into and it was taught by this really iconic teacher that my even my sister had and he was like the teacher that all the stellar students got mm-hmm. and the the week that we found out about this or whatever like everyone I was like yeah for sure I'm gonna you know get in this class because I've been in honors it was like kind of a track and I got this notice that I did not get into this class and it was because of one, like, test grade in elementary school that I, I think I really bombed. So legitimately, I had a bad score. <laughs> and for some reason, that really, really, really stuck with me that I was not enough mm. and that I had not done enough and I was not worthy of this experience. And it kind of created a huge ruckus. Um, like there were teachers, other teachers that were going to the principal to tell him that there was something wrong with this, you know, cause I had yeah. been like kind of the one, two in other classes and, and then like my parents who would never got involved, never, ever, ever got involved with school, like called and met with the principal and there were people like the principal was tr- telling the teacher and he just kept going, no, like she's, you know, she doesn't fit in the like it's not fair. Like she didn't get a score, so she's not going to get in. And it was this huge thing. And so all that being said, it was like, I think there was so much ruckus that the teacher ended up letting me in. And I was so traumatized from that experience that I ended up becoming highly, highly, highly competitive. Mm. And I actually think that was the first trigger of me, like being able to say like, I'm not, the book smartest kid in the class I never will be and I've never been that like being smart doesn't necessarily come naturally to me in that way but I know that I can outwork anyone Mm. and there was a very clear determination from that point on that like I was going to be unencumbered by my work ethic yeah and I was going to like you know quote-unquote kick everyone's butts and yeah. literally everything and be the best to prove them all wrong. And so from that point on, I was highly competitive and just like worked. And I, that's where I learned that sleep was not necessary. And <laughs> from that point on, like I think between eighth grade through high school, I was on average sleeping like four and a half to five hours. A, a yeah. So that I could be, literally like get hundred percent on every test I was taking. And if I didn't get close to that, I would get really pissed. And then in college I graduated Valley Victorian and took like, I think eight APs my senior year, uh, which there was only six periods. So I have no idea how that ever made sense. (laughs) Uh, You you broke the, you broke the model. Yeah. So I remember really having my first panic attacks in high school because Mm. I couldn't study hard enough to get a result or um, I felt like I, you know, wasn't worthy enough. And my identity became my work. It became Mm. my grades. It became school. And um, yeah, that's where I really learned a lot of my bad habits with mental health was like the amount of self hatred and this like critique and the, the demand of what I put on myself was so high. Mm. Um, So yeah. So I think that, the questions you're asking are so important because I can really trace it back to that one moment. And, um, the, the fight for me to this day is to not combine my identity with what I do. Oh, it's um, so hard. 
so hard. Especially it's, in it's in so our hard. society, the American society that, you know, I've talked about this on the podcast actually quite a bit, but um, I had a buddy that, college friend, he he's traveled around the world quite a bit, and he made a comment this last summer that he's like, it's it's interesting because American society puts so much emphasis on what you do you know your job your work you know that's like the first question it's what we start off with on the podcast you know and it's what I put in the title of you know it'll be Ann Wang like co-founder and CEO of Inru and and like I I struggle with that but it's also still this form of identity you know and I don't it's definitely something I wrestle with um but I think that just in society it's so hard and I've struggled with this of now you know doing this and I'm doing this full time it's it's not making me any money right now and uh you know I'm very lucky to be supported by my wife and um have her be the breadwinner of our family but it's it's that male ego it's this like programming I've had for so long and it's not just me as a male and me you know as as person but it's everyone you know we've put so much focus on what we do as this measure of success and uh, this like, do you measure up mentality? And it's hard. It's so hard. And it's, it's hard. It's hard every stage of your life. You know, I think it changes. And for you to be in that space now is it's like, man, it's so tough. And I think you're right. The male, female, gender piece is mm-hmm. huge like although we now live in a society that is somewhat more progressive i yeah. think that like uh you know the male ego piece is there and that there's these traditional roles but even like on the women on the on the you know f- woman's side it's like i find myself thinking about oh like how is my career going to work with being a housewife and wife and mother at some, mm, you know, it's like, yeah. I, I do think about that where I'm like, family is a huge priority for me. Yeah. And yet I've dedicated my entire existence to being like this overworking yeah. woman, you know? And so you're a hundred percent right. And it's incredible to hear that you are in that place of like, yes, I realize that these are things that I struggle with, but it's a process and it's progress and you are never going to be able to completely be separated from your work identity. But Mm -hmm. I think it's making sure that there's more to it that you hold yourself up on than that one pillar. That's when it gets, that's when it gets bad. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And, and it's the, it's this, um, I think recognizing it obviously is huge and kind of knowing, knowing that, but, it's this piece that if you can just be intentionality, I think is just such a, such a huge thing and it's under talked about and under appreciated and so much, but so many ways, yeah. but just being intentional, what, what is it that you want? You know, like if you and want to be a mother and you want to work at the same time, there's, there's no one that should tell you that nothing should tell you that that's not okay. And, and the same for me, like I, I'm, our life is comfortable. If me and my wife decide that this is what's what we want to do, and this is the way that we want to invest into our life and, and whatever is allowing me to stay at home and do this and chase a, a dream of mine, then, then great. There's nothing that's wrong with that. And I, but it's recognizing that and knowing that and, and not letting like the little bit that I read from your, your post of not letting yeah. those outside things come in and chatter you away and like talk you mm-hmm. down and, and riddle, you know, your existence and who you are away from you because it's just important to be intentional and be like, this is what I want and like own yep. that, you know? Yep. Yeah. hundred percent. Totally. Well, I know you've got a time commitment here, so I've got a few questions um, to kind of close things out. And let's start off with what are you most proud of to date? Oh, these are the tough ones, Anne. These are tough. Talking about identity. Yeah, here we go. And accomplishments, (laughs) man. what am I most proud about to date? That's a really hard one, really I think, hard. for someone who, for a lot of us who are very self-critiquing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, something that I 
I guess in regards to Enrue is um, I had a lot of incredible friends slash like employees that Enrue became kind of an incubator for them to discover their own callings. Mm-hmm. And I saw like so many talented, incredible humans that had no idea what they wanted to do or what they were good at. And they could use the ecosystem that we built in in Rue, which wasn't corporate and it was very, very self-driven and very open. And, um, and they used that as a ecosystem to now have become incredible, like driven and, and specific in their careers. And so I'll give you an example. One of my best friends, Brianne, we grew up together. Um, she's in kind of that same group that my co-founder and I, yeah, middle school, high school. And then, you know, she didn't go to college with us, but obviously really close friends. She was like going to physical therapy she, school. She always wanted to be a physical therapist. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really working out. And she's the type of person that's kind of really just talented at anything yeah. and is is capable mm-hmm. and so I think when Enru started getting really busy I kind of called her and just was like hey I know this is nowhere she's never worked a corporate job she's no idea about marketing sales or anything right yeah I just was like will you just come and work for Enru yeah and she moved like the next week moved to LA moved in with me wow. like dropped everything and then you know, it took some time. She's not a marketer. Sure. Like she's not a startup person. That is not her personality at all. So we, we moved her from literally from like, you know, quote unquote department to department. And we just discovered that she is incredible at culture. And so she built our entire internship program. She was like, we called her mama Brie. She ran all our HR. She ran everything. She grew that company. Um, and was so natural at it and still mm-hmm. is to this day is like that where she's just quick. She learns quick. She executes quick. She like isn't afraid and is such a good people's person. And looking back at that, she wouldn't have, I don't think ever have discovered that this was her calling unless she was able to have collided with what we were doing at Enrue. Yeah. And I'm so grateful that that is one of the biggest like success stories of everything that we did and now she's an hr partner at tom's which is like her dream you know kind of place it's still impact driven and it's a huge company and so anyways those are things that i really get really proud about is that like we had a part small part in someone's journey in that way and i think it's so granular like we obviously we're really, really incredibly proud about the hours of dignified work we created and the lives we impacted. But that one specifically is so unique and unexpected that it it's really stayed with me. That's awesome. That's a cool story. Yeah. What What do you look forward to most in the future? Do you have any goals and ambitions? Ooh, these are tough. I oh know. My I know. I'm sorry. This is this no, is like the lightning round, the hard round. It's, it's all good. <laughs> I ease into the very end, you know. <laughs> I I think I talked a little bit about it. I really believe in that model of creating a collision between impact, story, and influence. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we fully crack that. So a goal for me is to really hone a methodology around that. And even more specifically, work with big companies. Like we're working right now with um, CPG brands that, are huge like PNG and redefining what advertising is looking like. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just really believe in figuring out that model uh, because I think that there's a lot that can be changed and we can't do it unless it's well coordinated. Yeah. (laughs) And so, yeah, that's not a super sexy answer, but no, it's cool. Impact story. And what was the last bit? Influence. Influence. I wrote impact twice. I wanted to write this down. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. I, no, it, it's it's a good answer. I I can tell that you've got you've got your idea of what you're working towards, and and I'm and I'm sure you've got a lot on your plate and working towards that being the driven woman that you are. So that's awesome. Oh, thanks. Do we you... can we can go a little over too. By the way. Okay. Cool. Well, I got a couple more, so here we go. Cool. Do you ever think about your legacy? 
It not just much. Gets, it just actually. gets worse. I'm just telling you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a good, no. It's a good question. Um, not much. And I think, I think it's partially not because of like ignorance or denial. I think that my connection with legacy feels a little bit self-driven. Mm. Like, I think legacy for me in my mind feels like it's my legacy and it's something that I want to be known for. So in that sense, no, Um, because so much of what I do now, if I thought about that, I think would drive me nuts. Like, I think that's like stuff that I have to let go of is like, well, what is, you know, what is this? So, so in that sense, no, but I do think that I have always, always been more confused about the fact that I was given so much. And this goes back to your great childhood question of like, I just, I still am so shocked with how freaking blessed I was. Yeah. And I get really confused and it's a huge traumatic like realization of my childhood when I realize that a lot of other people do not have that. Yeah. And so that for me is more of a driving confusion of everything that I do is around impact and change in an individual life, um, current day, future, or past, or whatever it is. And that's where I get much more granular. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that makes sense, but legacy, yeah. no. But I think like if I was given talent to actually invest in impacting a certain life then that's the work that i want to do love it love it yeah uh last question before we kind of wrap things up is looking back what advice would you tell little ann oh man so much uh right now i would say that grace and self-love are super critical to my success. So I don't think I would ever go, Hey, little Anne, like, don't worry about success or don't worry about mm-hmm. work or impact or any of the things that you care about. Cause that would never work for yeah. a personality like mine in that way. But I think that the advice would be that is all good and you, you can go at, something full speed but if you don't stop and focus on grace or self-love then Mm -hmm. you're going to lose yourself in that journey um and you're going to come out a lot more scarred than you should be yeah so for me that's the big that's the big thing that i wish i would have learned earlier because as a 28 year old adult female (laughs) yeah working through that now is a lot harder and um yeah it's not really something that was taught in my culture um to really focus on yeah so yeah that's awesome and thank you so much i I would love to give you this time i mean inru i just realized i don't even know if we really talked about what inru does or or is but this is a great time if you're still listening to go visit inru.co um and to check out some of the the things that they have for sale, they're great um, items for Christmas. It's a great time of year to to get in on some of the things they have for sale. All of the the different things you have have a story behind them, and they go back to helping um, people in around the world, um, you know, with their needs and their life, and and creating a job and um, impacting them in in so many different ways. Love it. Thank what, you for that shout out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, is there is there any advice or any you know anything you'd like to leave us with before we close things out? No, I think that that's an incredible interview. Thank you so much for asking me really, really tough and really good questions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the last piece of this is is for you, me, anyone. I think who's creating and dreaming that sometimes we can get in our own way. And so Mm. the biggest hurdle is just getting started and doing and learning as you go. And I still have to remind myself that because I think starting stuff, even a second time gets harder. Um, So 
Yeah. But Absolutely. thank you so much. This was such an incredible conversation and I just like cannot wait to listen to more um, content around this because I think the way that you ask these questions are so real and raw and I've done yeah one too many interviews and this one was really <laughs> special so thank you yeah absolutely it was special for me as well i uh I, i'm the very best. honored to have have you on the podcast and for you to take the time out of your day and and uh share your story with us so thank you so much Anne. i really do appreciate it of course amazing well happy holidays and yeah we'll talk soon all right sounds good i'm gonna close this out All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Please visit us on Facebook and Instagram where you can like, comment on our posts. If you want to go above and beyond, please share the Crazy Face Uno podcast with your friends, family, or just random strangers on the street. We're welcome to everyone. Once again, please visit crazyfaceuno.com to purchase our merchandise and donate. Your contributions help us share more stories like Anne's and stories just like yours. Thanks again for listening. We love you all. 